0: Exodus chapter 20, verses 15 through 17. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that your neighbor owns. All right, before we jump into, uh, back into our series here in the sermon this morning, i want to give a couple quick Christmas updates. Um, First concert here tonight at six o'clock. Regardless if the white death visits us, all right? Come on! I grew up in New York. An inch and two of snow is like, you know, nothing. Okay. So back here at six o'clock for our our Christmas concert. It'll be wonderful. Great time of fellowship. Great time of worship. Just being able to come together and praise Him. Um, So it's six o'clock tonight, and then Christmas uh, caroling. We're going to do Christmas caroling next Friday night. We're going to meet here at 645 in the parking lot. It's, uh, it's basically a, a, a caroling Cincinnati. There are different churches around Cincinnati. that will we'll host people where they can show up. This will be a, a drop point for people to come. They can come here. We'll meet here at 645 or so. We'll carol from like 7 to 9. It's going to be happening all over the city, and we're one of those places that, uh, that are part of this. So if you want to go Christmas caroling, there's some booklets, Christmas booklets out here uh, in the uh, in the foyer. You can grab one of those. Uh, And you can actually look over the kind of songs we'll be singing. Bring your whole family. We'll have a great time of fellowship next Friday from 7 to 9. Meet here at like 645. Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock. We're back here on Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock. Try to be here a little bit early um, because it's usually it's one service. And uh, it's, it's, it's usually just packed, and so it's difficult for us to kind of fit everyone in here. But we will. We'll set up all the chairs. We have plenty more chairs to set up, so we'll make sure we all fit. It's just a really great time. It's probably 45 minutes long, maybe an hour at very most, but 6 o'clock Christmas Eve. And then um, a couple other things. Uh, there are families in our church who are in need of some help at Christmas. We do this every Christmas, and this year, more than ever before, we have some families who uh, are really struggling um, matter of fact, one of them told me uh, yesterday that uh, they're just not going to do Christmas this year um, because they're just not in a financial position to do that. So their kids are a little older, and they said, uh, you know, we're just not going to do Christmas this year because um, they have other expenses they need to take care of before they go out and buy gifts. And so my attitude is, you know, we we can come together as the body of Christ and make sure that everyone gets to celebrate. You know, we're not trying to be uh, presents or everything, but it's nice to be able to receive something at Christmas. So uh, if you would like to be a part of helping some families in our church, there are probably three, four, five families. I know there are four or five um, who need help. Um, you can even talk to me on the way out or give me a call this week, uh, and we'll try to – I'll, I'll kind of let you know what the needs are. We'll try to connect people with different families Um, I've been giving out some some of the some of the uh, church's uh, finances already to people who are in need this Christmas season. So uh, we really want to be a part of that. You know, the end of the year, we have year end giving. I know there are a lot of things going on around. that are all asking, you know, year end, give, give, give. Um, But I honestly I'm just going to say this. I really want you to think of your church first, because there are things that we're doing right here at home. Right. with the people right next to you who are in need, people in our community. Um, And people around the world. So let's uh, let's make sure this Christmas season that we have enough resources to cover all the things that we need to cover within our own church and the people that we minister to all around the world. All right. Um, We are this morning continuing our series on the Ten Commandments. Last week, we talked about honoring your mother and father. Um, I probably got more reaction from that sermon than anyone I've done this year. Um, and, uh, from, from oldest to youngest, some, some series, some sermons, you know, different people relate to, you like to, you know, something that motivates you and inspires you. That sermon last week for obviously obvious reasons, um, inspired a lot of adults. I don't know why they were just really inspired by it, but what was really encouraging to me when you're talking about honoring your mother and father, I had a lot of high school and junior hires come out afterward and say, Hey, thank you for that. Really appreciate it, which I thought was uh, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. This morning, I want to continue this series, but I want to combine two of, uh, of the commandments. I want to combine thou shalt not covet and thou shalt not steal. Um, so we're going to look at coveting and stealing because it's a natural connection uh, between coveting and stealing. They're, they're closely related, and you'll, you'll see it as we go through this. And I, I find it amazing as, I, as, I, as I've gone through my life how amazing it is that people, given the opportunity, will invent new ways to steal. When I was in Nigeria about seven years ago, one of the first trips we had to Nigeria, I wanted to buy a corn grinder. People in the church had given us money to take there to buy a corn grinder. And what happens in Nigeria is if you have corn, or if you have wheat or something and you want to grind it, you have to get up early in the morning. Your kids have to go up on your, your traditional uh, you know, hill or mountain. And there, there's a rock that's carved out from years and years and years of grinding, believe it or not. And so they'll go up there and it takes them hours to grind this corn and grind it down to a powder so they can eat. So we wanted to get a corn grinder so they wouldn't have to worry about grinding corn. And so we went to this place. There was probably 10 of these corn grinders lined up 10 or 10 or 12 corn grinding stores. And I say store. I'm talking about like a a very kind of a shanty shack. But they were all lined up together, which kind of I think they held each other up. And uh, they had corn grinders in there and supplies. And so I walked up to the first one that was there. And I looked and there was no one in there. And pretty soon someone showed up. And he, hey, how can I help you? And so I had some people with me from Nigeria. And they were obviously Nigerians. we were in Nigeria. And they were friends of mine. And they started talking to each other. And the guy could speak some English as well. Now, I had all the money that I needed. Um, and it still took me five hours to purchase this corn grinder. Some of you would not survive uh, that episode because of your, your, the way you do business in your lives. And five hours trying to buy a corn grinder when you really want to go in and just say, I don't want to haggle over $10, give me the corn grinder. But somehow it always turns into some kind of haggling kind of deal. And so I'm standing there wasting five hours of my life. And that wasn't the worst thing. The thing that really blew my mind is that we're going through this whole process. At the very end, another gentleman walks up, and I mean these two guys start going at it. The guy who sold us the corn grinder and the guy who just walked up, they were screaming at each other, and this other guy who just walked up was livid. And I asked my friend, what's going on? And she said, well, that store, the owner of the store is the guy who just came up. The other guy owns a store two stores down. And when he saw us come over, he ran over and was, was pretending to own that store and sell us things from the other guy's store. And when he showed up, I guess the, the person who was two stores down realized this guy's not going to be back for the rest of the day. But since it took five hours to buy the corn grinder, he should have been smart and stopped haggling. Um, he would have gotten away with it. The other guy showed up, and I'm telling it was bedlam. It was bedlam. And when we confronted the man who had done that, he basically said, "I'm from such and such state. This is what we do." You know what I mean? "I'm savvy. I'm a savvy businessman, and if I can steal from the person next to me and cheat you whatever the case may be, that just that's all better for me." I mean, what a, can you imagine walking into a, Can you imagine you walking into a store, the, the the person goes away, and you kind of walk up to the counter and you're like, "Can I help you?" You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, uh, we owe our machines down. I'll take we can only take cash right now. And so you take the cash, you take the money, and you walk out of the store. It's the exact same thing. I mean, that, put that in context. The boldness and the, in, the inventive. He, this guy was pretty inventive. If you ask me to be able to do that. People will invent new ways to steal given the opportunity. I heard another story. I read this this past week about a person who uh, who wrote a letter to the IRS Wrote a letter to the IRS and he said, my conscience is bothering me. I owe you some money that I haven't paid. So here is a check for one hundred dollars. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. And I. I, <laughs> I love I thought that. Was, I thought it was funny, too. Um, see, we all have our besetting sins, uh, you know, and some people, honestly, stealing is one of your besetting, besetting sins. I and mean, that's one of the things you struggle with. It's stealing. I have mine. We won't go into mine this morning. We'll go into yours. Um, But I have mine. Stealing is not one of mine. But I have to admit, in all good conscience, I want to tell you right now that one time I actually did steal something. And I'm going to tell you what I did. I I have a coin collection. I still have it. And Josh and I, my youngest son, Josh, is uh, is six and we're starting to collect coins together. And I collected coins since I was very young. And I had my one bedroom apartment with my mom. This coin collection was so important to me. I had a big hope chest that she let me have in, her, in my room was her hope chest. And I put all my coins in there. I had silver certificates. I had silver coins back way back in the, in the, in the, the dinosaur age. You could still go to, um, to this to the bank, whatever, and get rolls of coins and you'd find silver quarters and silver dimes and all kinds of, you know, even some buffalo nickels and wheat pennies and all those kinds of things. If you were willing to take the time to go through the change and go back and forth to the bank, they loved me at the bank. Um, and so, and so I collect all these coins. My father would give me coins for Christmas. My uncle and my mom, they'd all get me some coins and I collected these and I loved them. And one day I was, uh, I have my friends over to the house. We'd always do that and they'd hang out. They did it all the time. I would never worry about them being in my, my room alone or whatever part of the house. Never thought about them stealing anything. because, again, that wasn't something that was in my heart that I, that I had a problem with. And so we're walking through Walmart. One time we were in my house and we left and we were walking through Walmart. And all of a sudden, two, two or three silver quarters hit the ground and just sort of rolling around the floor. You know, how people drop money sometimes and you, your, your attention's turned. So I went over and I grabbed, I grabbed one or two of them and he grabbed one or two and he picked them up. And, and I looked at him and I said, oh, it's a silver, it's a silver quarter. You know, I knew right away because of the look of it. And the first thing he said was, oh, cool, you collect it. You can have those. Now, in the apartment complex where I grew up, no one's giving you, you know, no one's giving away money. All right. So first thought right away, I thought to myself, wait a second. uh, Those are probably mine. He stole them. Lo and behold, he did steal them. He stole them right out of my my hope chest. And I went back to look and a lot of my silver certificates were gone and a lot of things were missing that I I I didn't check on. And I started really looking and some of the things were missing. Well, I like my coin collection. He stole from me. So darn it. I was next time I had an opportunity. I was going to go in his room, steal something from him. So next time we went in his house and we we were in there and and I went in and I I saw his brother had given him like a pocket knife or something with all kinds of gadgets on it. So I just stuck it in my pocket and walked out and thought, fine, you steal from me, I'm going to steal from you. Went back to my house, took the knife out. I didn't really care about the stupid knife anyway. I just wanted to get him back. But, you know, I wasn't a believer at that point. But to tell you the truth, stealing's not... I didn't really want the knife to begin with, and and I felt kind of bad about stealing out of stealing something from him, even though he stole from me. So the next time I went to his house, I, I snuck it back in his room and put it back. I put it back in his room. So there's my stealing episode. All right, that's my uh, one event. And actually, now I'm sure there's we're going to lay some other things out later on here in the sermon where I'm probably guilty, but flat out stealing from you and going into your home, even when I was younger, it's not really not really my thing. Um, But it is a lot of people struggle. They struggle most of the time. Listen, most of the time. And here's where you have to watch. When you fall into the temptation of stealing, the first step is to covet. When, When the first when you when you steal something, when you fall into that temptation to to take what doesn't belong to you, the first step in stealing that is that you covet you think I want that? I don't have one of those. I want that, so you you begin to covet. The word covet means to long for, to desire after. It, it, it means to it means to yearn after something that doesn't belong to you. Coveting is a temptation of the heart and the mind. This is where it starts. Usually, you don't get up in the morning and say, you know. Um, I think I'm going to go steal such and such or so and so today. First thing in the morning, what you do is you see something and you see something, you know, that that uh, that mic, You you know, you play you play all the time at home and your mic doesn't work. So you look at it and you think, well, the church, they gosh, they have plenty of money, you know when well, they 're not going to miss one mic, and so you look at it and you covet that mic, and ultimately temptation comes along. No one's around, you take the mic, you put it in your pocket, and off it goes, and now we're missing a mic. But it starts from a coveting that starts out in your heart and in your mind. It's often the spark. Listen, it's often the spark, that coveting, that leads to other sins. It's that spark in your mind, that spark in your heart that leads you to other sins. In Deuteronomy chapter five and verse twenty one, it says this. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not cover it. You shall not have not, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why? Because coveting. OK, coveting is that first step. Coveting your neighbor's wife leads to adultery. Coveting your neighbor's possessions leads to stealing. This is so important. You know, I I use this analogy often when I'm talking to people kind of outside of church. But if someone were to walk up and punch me in the face, you'd say, well, God's going to judge that person for punching Pastor Jeff in the face. You know what? Yeah, God's going to worry. He's going to judge a person for punching someone. But you know what? The judgment on someone starts long before the punch. It starts with an attitude of the heart. What brought that person to that place where they would want to strike someone? It's an attitude of the heart. God is more concerned with attitude than he is action. Because it's the attitude that really corrupts. It's the coveting that starts it all. It starts in the mind. It starts in the heart and then reflects out. And it's, that's where we get this whole, why we reach out and we steal something. Because we're coveting that thing in our hearts. And the Bible says that the man or the woman who covets, the person who covets, is never satisfied. Never satisfied. Ecclesiastes says that in 5.10. He says, that person's really never, never, really never satisfied. Now, if we look at our culture today, if we even look at our own lives, we recognize that's completely true. That's completely true. A person who actually covets and desires that way is really never satisfied. That's true. All I need to do is look into my own heart. All you really need to do is look at your own life or look at the culture around you to realize that the Bible is true. And I'll show you another another way the Bible is backed up here in our own culture. I read a, I read a uh, study that was done with people from different economic backgrounds, so the, the poor, the, the middle class, and the rich. And they, they polled those people and asked them this question. Uh, what would it take, how much money would it take to satisfy you, to make you happy? How much money would it take? They asked each socioeconomic group. And what, what was amazing to me when I read this is that each group basically said the same thing, whether they were poor, middle class or rich. They basically said the same thing. If I could just double my salary, I would be happy. If I could just double my salary, I would be content. I would be satisfied doubling. So if you're poor, if you just double your salary and get to the middle class, then you'd be content and you'd be happy. If you're middle class and you could just double your salary and make yourself a little bit richer, then you'd be happy. If you're completely rich and you could just double your salary, then you'd really be happy and you'd be obviously, you know where I'm going with this. The more we have it doesn't mean that we're going to be more content. It doesn't mean we're going to be satisfied because every every one of us in life. You know, if we don't have our hearts in the right place, we always want a little more. And that's because our focus is on the things of this world. Our focus becomes on the things that are around us. We don't have our focus on Jesus Christ. And so we focus on the things of this world. And that, my friend, is a never ending trap. It's a never-ending trap. When our hearts and our minds get focused on the things of this world, it's a trap. The reality is that we're trying to fill a void in our lives. You and I, when we do that, when we covet are trying to fill a void in our lives. And we're filling it with lies and empty promises. Remember that? A couple years back, I was showing a commercial. It says, it's, it's, it's not more than you need. It's just more than you're used to. It was a car commercial. Beautiful car. It's not more than you need. It's just more than you're used to. Lies and empty promises. See, if you had this car. It had this. If you had this, if you had a bigger this or more of that or have what your neighbor has or whatever else. Then you'd be satisfied. Then you'd have everything you need. What you're trying to do is you're trying to fill a gap and if you could fill that gap with this or that or the other thing, then it'll all work out for you. Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that only God can fill. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that only God can fill. And our problem is that we're trying to fulfill that gap. We're trying to satisfy our needs. And we're trying to fill that gap with things that don't matter, that don't work, that, that will never, that will never, never satisfy We're trying to fill that gap with all the wrong things. C.S. Lewis wrote this. What does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. What does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. Our desire, our desires for the things of this world, my friends, honestly, can, can temporarily gratify but never satisfy. They can temporarily gratify, but never satisfy. So you get that thing, you 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 long for that thing, and you desire that thing, and you 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 covet whatever it is. And it content when you get it, it temporarily gratifies your sinful nature, but can never satisfy. Only God, only Christ can truly satisfy. Because the moment the moment that excitement of that gain or that conquest, whatever it is, is over, then you just want more. You just want a little more. It's a trap. It's a trap. And so many people fall into the trap of just a little more. Just if I could double my salary, if I could just have this, if I could just have that. And when you get that thing, you're not satisfied. Does anyone even seriously, does anyone even, you don't have to raise your hand, but think to yourself, even argue that point at all in your mind? Do you even argue that point? And if most of you are saying no in your minds, okay, But why is it then that we live that way when we get out of this building? Think about it. If we all know that's true, we've all seen the person who won the lottery. They have books this thick on people who won the lottery. What happens to most people who win the lottery? Their lives are ruined. I just, if I were a millionaire, then I'd be really, truly happy. Uh, Both my kids died of drug overdoses. Uh, My wife drove off a bill. You know, it's like... And these are true. Those things are true. I mean, I I, I wish I'd never won that money. Quick gratification, never satisfaction, because you always want more. And the desire for more—listen—the desire for more is where, where, where coveting is born. The covetousness is born, and the desire for more. The question we need to ask ourselves is: Why are we? Why are we constantly focused on what our neighbor has? Why are we so worried about what that person's wearing at school or what this person has or what that person has? I watch it in my own neighborhood, I drive around, and you see people who just put a something in their backyard, a new deck here, a new this, that. And you watch around them. Other people start to build something similar on their homes. It's incredible to watch. If they have it, you should have it. I should have it. And the reason that we, 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 we are focused on that is because we're really, the reason we struggle with that is because we're really focused on the temporal and not the eternal. That's what it boils down to. We're focused, we're, our focus is here. Our heads are down. We're staring at all the things that everyone else has that we should have. What should we wear? How should I? have a nice pair of shoes. I don't want the same pair of shoes. I want to get on oh, a shirt like that. If I had a shirt like that, if I had a watch like that, if I had this, I want well, your yeah, haircut. Like, oh, we all, we we're focused on all of this instead of, instead of looking here. Instead of focusing on Christ, we get caught up. And we're never satisfied. You you know, Christmas is about peace. Christmas is about joy. It's about love. It's about contentment. It's about all these things that we don't have, most of us, because we're consumed with wanting, wanting more and coveting. And then we go out and we covet. And sometimes we break God's law and we go out and steal those things. You know, if we set our hearts on the things of God, we wouldn't be concerned at all with what our neighbor has. Matter of fact, you'd be so happy that they have it. So glad that they could afford that. Right now, you can't afford that. That's okay. You're struggling right now with finances. Maybe you have a daughter or a son in college or you're paying something. Right now, it's okay not to have that. It's good that your neighbor can have it, but you don't need to have it. And you're okay with that because you're focused on Christ. You're focused on things above. You're not focused on earthly things. You know, thieves feel justified stealing. They feel justified. If you talk to a thief, a real thief, they feel justified in stealing because coveting causes us to look at what others have as though it it should belong to us. Coveting starts to it gets in the mind of a thief, and the thief begins to think what belongs to you I deserve I should have that why should you have it and not me I deserve to have that you got your know, silver spoon in your mouth you grew up this way I this whatever else whatever the case may be whatever justify whatever justification needs to go on in their minds but they justify why they should have what you have And so it's totally okay to steal because they were wronged in some way. And you you or somebody else wronged them. So therefore, they start to covet other people's things. They steal it and they feel totally justified in taking those things. See, the desire to covet is not a new problem. The Bible talks about it throughout the Old and New Testament, because God knows God knows that even though we are followers of Jesus Christ, we we you and I still battle against our sinful nature. Now, for some of you, this whole idea of stealing is really not a problem. It's good to hear a sermon on it, and you're hoping other people are learning something from it. We'll, we'll talk about some other things that maybe touch your heart here in a couple of minutes. But, you know, maybe it's just not your thing. I mean, it's not, you know, something that really, that really has a, a profound effect on your life. But the Bible and God understands that we as human beings, even though we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we still struggle with our old nature. Those temptations still come back. Paul said it. Man, what I don't want to do, I do. What I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man I am. Who rescued me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but we still struggle. We still struggle with our sinful nature. And God knows that our sin nature is drawn. He understands that our sin nature is drawn to the glitz and to the glamour and, and, and to, the, to the pleasures and to the luxuries of this life. We're drawn by those things. God knows that. That's why he's always coming back to the heart. He always wants to deal with your heart. If he can keep you from coveting, if God can deal with you in your heart when it comes to coveting and having an attitude that this, this should belong to me and that person cheated me and I deserve, if he can work on that attitude, stealing is no issue. Stealing is not an issue. The action of stealing can be done away with if we can do away with most coveting in our lives, because there'd be no need for it. We wouldn't be focused on the temporal; We'd be focused on the eternal. We'd be focused on God, not earthly things. We wouldn't be consumed with what other people have and we don't have. So there'd be really no reason to go out and steal someone else's stuff because we wouldn't need it. What we have, we'd be satisfied with and we wouldn't need it. That's why in the Bible, we're constantly being reminded that we shouldn't focus our attention on what someone else possesses, that we should focus our attention on Jesus Christ, that we shouldn't focus on this world, that we should focus on him. We should focus on Jesus Christ in our lives. In first John, chapter two, verses 15 through 17, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. An eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. I, in the new year, we are going to, we're going to talk through some things that I believe are going to blow your mind. I, for those of you who grew up in church all your lives, we're going to, we're going to talk about some things that I believe will be revolutionize your whole entire life. May even answer the question, why can't I balance my life? Well, I have so many things going on. and All this, this and how can I balance? It's going to answer some of the most basic questions that you struggle with. And it is biblically based and we have gotten away from it. And I think it's going to have a true impact on this church. And I, I think it's going to have an impact on our church and our community as well. And we'll talk about that this, after this series is finished. We'll jump into that series. When we focus on the things of this world, it reflects our hearts, It reflects our hearts, what's going on in our hearts and lets us know that something needs to change. See, when we focus on the things of this world, it's a reflection of what's going on. It reflects our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it lets us know that something in our lives, somewhere in our hearts, we need to bring about some change. Something needs to happen that changes us. Our love for Jesus Christ is not what it should be. If our affections, if our desires, if our longings, if our yearnings of all those things are for things of this world, our relationship with Christ is not where it should be. If we're longing after things that belong to this world and in this world, there's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with having millions of dollars. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see some of these billionaires, 30 billionaires have signed a covenant. They're going to give away at least half of their income, half of what they earned before they die. They signed it. Bill Gates started it and he's got all these billionaires signed up to give all their money away. So, hey, if you're smart enough to earn a billion dollars, good for you. Give half of it away. In Bill Gates case. He wants to give almost all of it away. Good for him. That's good. Nothing wrong with having money. It's how you treat the money. It's how you use the money. Is is money becoming your God? Are you focused on the temporal things and all the stuff? Or are you focused on Christ? Nothing wrong with having those things as long as your focus is in the right place. When we long for what we don't have, when we covet what someone else has, when we think we deserve more than we have... We're on it. We're on a very slow slide that a very slippery path in our lives. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. And we need to ask ourselves, are we coveting? Are we desiring more than we have? Ask those things, because if we don't, you're, it's, it's a slippery slope. A slow slide down a slippery slope and you sit back. And you you, you wonder, you know, you sit here and you wonder, why, why do we struggle so much with this? If we know it's true, why do we struggle so much with it? Because we're constantly being tempted from the inside, from the inside. And that's why coveting and stealing are so closely linked. Stealing is taking what belongs to someone else. It's pretty simple. Taking what belongs to someone else. Now, most of you, when I talk about stealing, the first thing that your mind goes is like Ocean's Eleven. You know what I mean? Where they're in there and they're, you know, they're setting the whole thing up. bunch of professional thieves, and they got all these, you know, these things go around. You have, know, you know, alarms and all this kind. Of, and you're stealing something, or if you're, uh, if you're, if you, wa- you watch the movies where a guy walks up and sticks a gun in someone's face and says, "Give me all your money," you know, that's those are thieves. Those are the people who are stealing. They're the ones the Bible's talking about. Most of us think about that when we think of stealing. Now, uh, I would like to kind of share some forms of stealing that you may not have thought about. I want to I want to share a little bit uh, of some thoughts here on some on some acts of stealing, forms of stealing that you may not have thought about. And the first one, I have 10 and they're pretty I'll go through them pretty quickly. I have 10 of them. One of them comes from Leviticus chapter six and verse two. And it tells us that we're in when we are entrusted. With uh, the with, uh, with safekeeping of something that someone else has given to us, and we lose it or it's damaged by our negligence, then it's stealing. So if someone gives you something and you knowingly give it back to that person, broken, that's stealing. You say, "Well, help me out here. How many times have you heard someone say, you said yourself, uh, no, "uh-uh, that's the way it was when gave to me." Oh, it was like that. The big smoke was coming out of before you gave it to me. You know, didn't have a wheel when you gave it to me. You know, the engine was gone when you gave it to me, right? You like drop it from your second story window, and it's like, hey man, it was uh, it was like that when you gave it to me. You hand it back in shambles, like box you shake the box is all rattling around. That's how that's how you gave it to me, man. I don't know what to tell you. That's stealing, okay? That is stealing. You knowingly you knowingly broke it. Or, you know, or you damaged it, or it wasn't, you know, you didn't keep it safe, or you lost it. If someone lets you borrow something, gives you something for safekeeping, and you lose it, and you say that's your problem, that's stealing. Okay. Second, when you borrow something and don't give it back, that's stealing. All right. So you go in your neighbor's you know, garage. and you go, Can I borrow your rake? Yep. You take your rake. You take his rake. You take his hammer. You take his screwdriver. You take his, you know, chainsaw and then you don't bring it back. Well, he never asked you for it back. You don't have a hammer. And I'll tell you something else. He has two chainsaws. He's got the big kind. I'm mm-hmm. gonna tell you something. I got a chainsaw this year. It's almost worse. No, I'm just kidding. No, this is the chainsaw is one of the most amazing tools known to man. I got that chainsaw out. And my, my wife, Debbie, was in the backyard with my daughter, Jen. They were just going, oh, my goodness. Trees were falling all over the backyard. I was just chopping everything down. It was amazing. It's like men, men, men. I was sweating, chopping things down. It was awesome. Power tools. Yeah. It was great. So your neighbor lends you this great power tool, and he has two of them, and the only one he gave you is kind of raggedy, so he never asked for it back. So you should keep it, because why should he have two and you don't have any? If you keep something that belongs to someone else, a hammer, a nail, it doesn't matter, okay, that belongs to someone else you borrowed, and you don't give it back, and you know you're not giving it back, you're stealing it. You're stealing it. Someone told me this week that there's a company in town that I'm sure there's plenty of them, that loses 500,000 dollars a year of stolen office equipment. 500,000 dollars a year. Listen, talking to all of us, me, whatever else. The paper clip is not yours. The pen not yours. The, uh, the, the stapler, which is a big item that gets stolen all the time. There's plenty of staplers at Procter & Gamble. They're not going to miss. I don't, I don't think it was P&G, but there's plenty of staplers there. So taking a stapler from there, you know, they're a huge, com- they're a monster company. Are they going to miss one stapler? Uh, yeah, they are. Actually, they, they, they added up in how much is uh, stolen each year. And besides that, it doesn't belong to you. And you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if it's a paperclip, it doesn't belong to you. You need to bring it back because taking in that way with with borrowing something or not taking it back, whatever the case may be, is is stealing. Another one, Leviticus six, three says, if you find something that belongs to someone else and you don't return it, that's stealing. So if you find some, I remember one time I was like, I don't know, like eight or nine years old. It was one of those. You never have a dream where you find something you really want well, I want, like, $150 bills, okay? And so I was uh, I, I, I was in the parking lot, and my dream came true. And $1,500 bills were blowing all around the parking lot, swirling around. My mom was there, I was there, her friend was there, and her daughter was there. We were running around like it was Christmas morning. I mean, it was like, oh, my goodness, you know, running around the ground, picking up this money. We saw a guy across the street over near the bank who was running around trying to find his money, okay? Finders keepers. Losers, weepers, baby. He should have kept his hand on his money if he wanted it, right? Wrong. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers is wrong. If you know a person who lost the money, if someone's, if there's two people in the room and there's a $50 bill on the ground and you pick it up and stick it in your back pocket without asking the person they dropped 50 bucks, that's stealing. Unless they say, you know, I, well, I love what people do. You lose any money? Describe the money for me. How much was it? It's anything written on the back? Is it an old 50 or a new 50? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, anything but to give the person a like, Finders, keepers, losers, weepers, baby. That's, that's wrong, wrong, and wrong. Okay, fourth, a merchant can steal by using dishonest scales. In Leviticus 19:35 through 37, it says this. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length or weight or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights. Use an honest ephah. Dry is a dry measure and an honest hin, which is kind of a liquid measure. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Remember last week we said, why do we honor our parents? What's the number one reason? Because God says so. Because God, is, he's our God. He's our God. And you say, well, we're under the law, we're under grace. And I want to keep saying this. How much more then should we who know Christ? okay. We need to be honest with how we do things. I don't know if you're in a business that actually does that. But I thought about this. How could I apply this to our church service this morning? And I came up with a way. It really irks me. Just really. this is just the theory from 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 deep down. Okay, doesn't it really bother you when you go in the ice cream place and they get the ice cream scooper and they scoop scoop the ice cream off the top and they make they give you a scoop. But it's hollow. It's like a hollow scoop because it's kind of swirls around. I'm like, dude, unless you're going to fill that with chocolate, dig a little deeper. You know what I'm saying? I, I paid for some ice cream. I didn't pay for flakes of ice cream. I paid for a scoop of real ice cream. And he gives you this flaky kind of stuff. And it's like that. That's, I'm like, hey, man, put a little hint into that. You know what I mean? A liquid measure. That's not a liquid. You're cheating me. All right. So there's different ways. My wife told me, and I won't mention the camp we go, we go to, but way back when, the first guy who kind of, second guy who kind of ran it. He was kind of a, a cheap kind of guy, and he would tell them, "When you scoop ice cream, you scoop it so it goes into a nice round circle, but the inside is hollow." He's not reading his Bible. Not reading his Bible, man. You scooping thief, you. Not reading it. Hey, ice cream. I love ice cream. Okay. You start stealing a man's ice cream. That's just, just stoning time. I'm just, kidding. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. All right. Fifth. You can steal from your employer by not working hard. My friends, this is an epidemic in our culture. You can steal from your employer by not working hard. Uh, I, 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 you, you get hired to do a job, and then you do as little as you possibly can. I worked for Exxon when I was in college. I managed two Exxon stations when I when I worked when I was actually full-time in college. I needed to make money. I was married. You know, you got to work. So I went to college full-time and ran the stations full-time. When I first took the job as the manager, I thought to myself, oh, I could never fire anybody. That would be so mean. I mean, two or three weeks later, I'm like, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. Because they're all thieves. They were all stealing. I had to pay people 18 or over 3,35 an hour. Guess who I'm getting, OK? So they would steal constantly. They would actually I, I was amazed at how good they were at stealing from the company. They would go outside and on the on the gas on the on the gas uh, thing where the, the, the gas comes out. You know, what I'm talking about. OK, on the bottom there, I get all worked up. I don't I can't find my words. All right. So on the bottom, there's a little number there and it rings up how much gas is going through. They would take the little plastic deal off and then they would run the numbers backward. So that when I came in the morning, I really couldn't tell that they had taken $25 worth of gas because it didn't show up, because they put it backward. Now, at the end of the month, it always showed up and I got in trouble for it, but they would steal gas that way. They would steal, they would steal and steal and steal and steal. They would steal until they got fired. They would steal until they got fired. If they put as much time into working hard as stealing, they'd be the president of the company in about 10 or 15 years. I mean, they were incredible at using the mental energy that they had to steal, but they wouldn't work. And the reason I believe that many people today, I'm not talking about the young people in this room. I'm talking about maybe maybe some, but I'm not talking about everyone. I'm just talking about a generation. part of the problem with the younger generation. okay, and I mean younger as in 30 and younger. Part of the problem is that many people feel entitled. They feel completely entitled to do what they're doing. Because, and, and honestly, I, I have to agree with you. Why, why, why on earth does you work? Even though, they, even though you agreed to work for what they're paying you, eh, my goodness, why, would they, why should you have to work your way to the top? That's ridiculous. Putting in how many years, 10, 15 years, to work my way up? I don't have time for that. That's ridiculous. I'm so amazing right now. That's what some people think you should hire me up here now. And not only that, I should be being paid what my parents are being paid right now, because it's obnoxious and ridiculous to think that you should work your way to the top and work really hard to get what your mother and father are getting. Uh, that's just absurd. You know why? Because they owe you. They do. The company owes you. I think you told them that when you walked in. You walked in and said, "Yeah, I'd love to have this job, but remember, you owe me." And you know what else? In a while, else you can cheat them and not work hard because they don't treat you right. Because they ask you to do things sometimes that wasn't in your job description or they didn't really spell it out. So they're ripping you. They're ripping you. Really, what it boils down to is they're ripping you off. So when 3.30 rolls around and you need to make those other 10 phone calls or make that other last thing or go the extra mile, why should forget that extra mile? You go and do your job. Why should you do that? Because you figure that hour and a half really belongs to you because they were so obnoxious to you last week and they ripped you off. and They didn't give you a raise in the last six months and you only worked there five months. And so they're really taking advantage of you because certainly you're entitled to all of those things. Now, that's what the world would tell us. We deserve it. And I can't believe how they're treating you. And why should you have to work for a company for 15 years in order to do that? That's absurd. That's ridiculous. Colossians 3.23 reminds us of this. Whatever you do. When you leave this building, hear me, I love you with all my heart, but this is hurting, this is hurting the this is hurting the, the Lord, our Lord. Our behavior hurts our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When you leave this building, you don't go from being a Christian to being something else. When you leave the church building and go into your building at work, you're still a believer in Jesus Christ. Same standards as Sunday morning. Same standards. When you go home, Same exact standards as Sunday morning. Same standards. Colossians 3.23 reminds us of this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, all, all of your heart, as working for the, anybody know? Lord, not for men. When I was at Exxon, you know why I went from, I'm not bragging, I'm just making a point. I went from a cashier to an assistant manager to a, a manager of the store, to a multi-store manager in probably about seven months. You know why? Because I'm so, this is why I'm, I am the most incredible Exxon employee you've ever seen in your life. You know why I'm so, you know why I got that job? Because they said, pick up the cigarette butts in the parking lot. Clean the oil off the island so it doesn't look all cruddy shine things up, make sure the windows, clean the toilets. I cleaned the toilets. I asked people if they needed oil. I did everything I was asked to do. You know why? Because it really had nothing to do with the president of Exxon or my supervisor. It had everything to do with I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I will exceed your expectations not because I'm looking for a raise from you, but I'm looking for, I'm looking for a, a, a desire from my, my Lord to look at me and say well done my good and faithful servant. Whatever you do, listen, honestly, I say this. I say this with no, I'm not being trying to be aggressive or anything. But if you're not going to work, quit. Don't, don't dishonor God. Don't drag the name of Jesus Christ through the mud. When you're walking with the Bible in one hand and you, you cheat your, your company by not working with all of your heart as working unto the Lord. If you're not going to work hard, guys. We, we are followers of Jesus Christ that means something more than on Sunday mornings. It means something when you're a PG. It means something when you're a GE. It means something when you work at the ice cream place or you're a janitor or whatever you do. It means something. You work at it with all of your heart as working unto the Lord and not unto men. It means something. Number six, a business owner can steal from his employees by not paying them on time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, try to get my ch- the check to you. Leviticus uh, 19, 13 says, do not default your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. We get that all the time, don't we? At banks and things like that. You know why they hold your money in the bank for whatever long, whatever. They're trying to collect interest off your money. OK, and hold as long as they possibly can. And honestly, that is stealing. According to the Bible, you're stealing when you don't pay someone what they're entitled to. And you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. OK, number seven, a person can steal justice by taking bribes or you can steal. Listen, you can steal someone's reputation by maligning them, by basically making false accusations against them. In Leviticus 19, 15 and 16, it says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Now we can cyber slander people. We can Facebook. We can we can email. We can text something about so someone. Could be sitting right next to you, three or four people sitting there, and you can text something really nasty about the person two seats over, and they don't even have to hear it anymore. You just text it. <laughs> you're slandering in a group of people. You're slandering the person who's right there. You're 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 taking you're stealing their reputation. You're stealing. You know what? I heard what she did last night or I heard with so-and-so, I'll tell you what, blah, blah, blah. Now, now you, seriously, right or wrong, true or not, whatever you're, whatever you're writing in your text or your email is wrong because number one, it's gossip. That's number one. And number two, it's hurtful. If you truly want to help someone and you thought they did something last night they shouldn't have done, how about, and I know you're going to think this is totally ridiculous because I know why we all do that gossip stuff, but how about getting that person alone and saying, can we talk? I, and I noticed that you... I just want to I just want to you know, help you. Is there any way that I can because you care about that person? Anything beyond that is gossip. Gossip is sin. It's wrong. So we can cyber slander someone and we can steal someone's reputation by. Yep, 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 yep. Not thinking about how it will affect them. In Luke chapter three, verses 12 through 14, we read this. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to. OK, don't steal from people, you, you people and you tax collectors, you people who collect that. Don't steal from people what you're required to. He told them. then some soldiers asked him. And what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with what you get paid. Now, if we go back to that one, and you're going to allow me to be on my soapbox just for a second. Don't collect any more than you're required to. And I guess that kind of means that the government can then steal money from people. If the government takes more than its share, and here's what got me going. I'm going to step Just give me a little leeway here just for a moment, okay? I, I, I I have the mic, so I'm going to do this. I heard a senator this past week say this. I'm going to see if I can quote it. It says, why should those rich people keep more of our money? That's what she was saying. Why should I don't know who's rich or not? I mean, depending on what definition you go by rich. But why should you keep more of my money? I yelled at the TV, I'm sorry, I just, I said, lady, are you, have you lost? Therein lies the problem. It's not your money. It belongs to the person who risked themselves to actually make the money. It belongs to the person who worked really hard as unto the Lord to make that money. It doesn't belong to you. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar and God's what is God's, but my goodness gracious, learn how to, learn how to hold on to your own, uh, your own, your house up there in the house. Learn how to take care of that before you start telling someone else that your their money is your money. You misspend your money and then you're going to tell someone that that money belongs to you first. Come on now. I mean, we got to, you know, I know they're individuals, but individuals make up a whole group of people. And I say, if you think that your hand belongs in my pocket first, you have a problem. There's something wrong there. There's something biblically wrong there. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not don't Democrat, Republican. I'm not being political here. I'm trying to be biblical. OK, it doesn't belong to you. Something doesn't belong. It belongs to the person and give. No one should cheat on their taxes. OK, everyone should pay their fair share of taxes. And you go by the laws. If they pass a law, and we don't like it. We can scream and yell and go to Washington. Call your congressman. It's fine. I'm never I'm not encouraging anyone to do anything wrong here whatsoever. But I think we should still be able in this country to point and hold other people accountable to their poor behavior. I'm sorry. I just I couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. All right. I shall move on. Okay. You can steal another person's ideas, Right. You're at work and someone has some things laying right next to you. They have an idea you heard them talking about in the other office and you then steal their idea. You present it to the boss. You stole someone's idea. You stole from them. When you're at school and you're sitting next to the person who actually studied, who actually read the book, and who actually puts the time and energy in and you put yourself in a position where you could see on their paper and cheat off of them, you're stealing from them. You're stealing. You're stealing their ideas. You're stealing their knowledge. You're stealing what they have from them because the same thing applies to you. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, all your heart. When you're in school, work at it with all of your heart. Why? Because you're serving God first. You're serving God first and you represent Jesus Christ. Ten and last, you can steal from God by not using the gifts and abilities that he's given you. You can steal from him by not using the gifts and abilities to serve him. Listen, this is what we're going to talk about in in the series coming up. Everything we have our time, our talents, our treasures, our very lives belong to God. They belong. We belong to God. We don't belong to this world. We belong to God. Romans chapter 1, verse 6. And you also am, uh, among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In Romans fourteen eight, If we live, then we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to Him. John fifteen nineteen. If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, if we're going to, if we belong to Him, then we're going to ask ourselves a few questions: Are we giving Him our best? Are we serving Him first? Are we using our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our treasures? Are we giving all those things to further the kingdom of God? We've got to ask ourselves those questions because if we're not, we're stealing from God. We belong to when you said, Jesus, come into my heart. You then belong to God. Everything, not just Sunday mornings, everything you are, what you do at work, what you do at home, the money that you have, the home, your everything belongs to God. It all belongs to God. And if we don't use it to further the kingdom of God, then we're cheating. We're stealing from God this January. Obviously, January's coming up. And January is a great time for a lot of people to reassess their priorities, to reprioritize, to think through. What am I doing? How how will I use the gifts that God has given me? And am I using the gifts that God has given me to serve him? You know, we talk often here at Grace Chapel about about serving. And what we did as a staff is we put together a booklet a ministry booklet that you can look at and you can go through. And in that booklet, it lists all the different ministries in the church, how many hours it will take to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to do that particular ministry, who you can contact, the description of the ministry. So you can read through it in the coming January. You can say, you know what? I need to get engaged and involved in church. I need to get, get more engaged and involved within the body of Christ using the gifts that God is giving me. Now, just at church, that's the hours that you're here, because we all need to work together to keep the church moving forward. Okay, but again, I'm going to say this. When you leave this place, you serve him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's not you belong to God at church. You just belong to God. You belong to God. OK, but this book will help you when it comes to church to see what kind of gifts and abilities you have and where you can where you can serve. You, need, you just need to pick one. Uh, and, you know, and just every, if everybody just has one service within the church, everything will get done. And this gives you some opportunities to do that. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. A people belonging to God. Let's, let's live out our purpose. Let's live out the reason we were created by God, by serving him. We need to serve him. In Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 28, as I close, it says this. Anyone who has been stealing, in any way we described, okay? Anyway, any, anyone who has been stealing must n- steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. We need to we need to stop coveting, we need to stop stealing, in whatever way we just described it. We need to work hard. Why? Why? Because he is the Lord our God. We belong to him. And as we express ourselves outside of the church, people will see how you live your life that you wouldn't steal a, uh, you wouldn't steal a toothpick. They will see that and recognize that you're different. And why are you different? Because you belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they'll be drawn to him through your actions. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the, just, the, uh, just the, the series, Lord. And I pray that you would just move in each of our hearts. That you would allow us, Lord God, to look into our own lives. to Look into our own hearts and our own minds. To see where we're coveting. Where we're we're looking around and saying, you know, I deserve or I should have or Lord God and you would you would convict us. That we would let those things go, that we would truly live for you, that we would lay aside the things that we're doing that are wrong. And father, that we would show ourselves to be followers of yours, to be ambassadors of yours. Through our thoughts, through our words and through our actions, we pray these things in Jesus precious and holy name. Amen. We'll see you tonight at...